0: Uh, let me read our passage this morning. We're going to do one chapter in Genesis chapter 8. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Genesis chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardcover uh, Bible nearby you on, on your chair, under your chair, and you could probably turn to page 6 or so. Uh, that's what page Genesis is on in my Bible. We're going to read from chapter 8. Uh, It starts this way in verse 1. "'But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually.' at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, and then God said to Noah, go out. From the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will, never, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Let's bow One more time and ask for the Lord's help this morning as we consider this text. Father God, I thank you for this story, uh, a story that is familiar to many of us. And yet, God, I pray that you would take this familiar story and teach us new things about you. Show us from uh, this narrative, God, who you are and how worthy you are to be honored and glorified. God, show us how how much less worthy the things of this earth are that we so often put our hope in, put our trust in. And let, let you, God, as we sung just a moment ago, rise up to take your place, your seat of honor in our hearts, God. And so help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, this is a familiar story. We're we're taking this middle chunk of the story of Noah and the ark, and we're going to look at this. We're taking this section because as we looked at the section last week from Genesis 6 and 7, it, it was a building up if you will, uh, to Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, uh, where Genesis 8, 1 really is the climax, the, the cliffhanger, if you will, uh, of the, the whole point of this entire passage. The, the language of the text builds up to it. The story of the text builds up to this point, uh, and this phrase of God remembering Noah, And and yet what we're going to learn from this passage is what I just prayed, how worthy God really is uh, of all honor and all glory. And we'll see that not only in in Noah's life, but but how that um, uh, sends us forward to Christ and how we see the Lord and Christ being worthy of all honor and glory in our own lives as well. And so I want you to to consider for a second, uh, what is of greatest worth in your life? Or, or what, what physical asset is of most value in your life? Uh, when, when you think of worth or you look up the word worth, it's going to uh, have some sort of definition there of value, uh, something that is of, of meaning. Um, and, and when something is worth, uh, worthy, or something is valuable uh, to, to you, it, it may not be of worth and value to others necessarily. But consider for a second, what is that, that asset that you have in your life that is of most value to you? Maybe a home, maybe a car, uh, it may be a piece of jewelry. It may be your bike, uh, your, your some of your toys, kids. What is that thing that is of most value to you? Uh, then think about maybe what is that thing of most value, that thing of most worth in regards to your time. What is your time spent, say, uh, is most worthy in your life? If I were to take your calendar, your time clock, and, and take that thing that you spend the most time doing, thinking about what would your calendar say is of most value and of most worth to you? Or, or what about your thoughts? What thing, what person are your thoughts dwelling on the most? And if we were to consider that, if you were to sit down for a moment and just really consider that, that would show you what is of great value uh, in your life. And yet, ultimately, uh, what is deserving of most of our thoughts? What is deserving of most of our time? What is deserving of... All of our worship is the Lord, and the Lord alone in this. Think about something in your life that has been of value to you, so valuable to you that you were willing to wait for it. Maybe a person that you were willing to wait for to get married for until you could move to be together, until you both finished college. You were willing to wait, or a child willing to wait that nine, that ten months. Uh, my family, in, in our adoption process, had to learn the, the process of waiting an untold amount of months uh, for, for an adoption. Uh, maybe you've waited for the right job. You've waited for something, and, and, and there's something that is worth it to you that, you, that you're willing to wait months years, even decades for, but but you're willing to wait for it. <coughs> I want us to consider that this morning, uh, because the Lord, was, uh, of Noah's A- and the Lord was worthy of Noah's waiting. And the Lord was worthy of Noah's worship in this passage. We're going to see that played out in, in chapter 8. In 8, 1 through 19, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write... Write this down, that God remembers, that God remembers. He remembered Noah. We'll see that he remembers us. He remembers you and is worthy of our waiting. In Genesis 6 and 7, we said that that was God's decreation in the flood. That in Genesis 1... God created the heavens and the earth. After that, uh, he had made man in his image, and yet mankind, Adam and Eve, sinned against God and they rebelled against him. Uh, The fall uh, of mankind came about because of the sin of, of man and woman. And God cursed the man and the woman, he cursed the earth. Uh, And and there was this downward trajectory of of sinfulness in mankind. As they were fruitful and multiplied, physically, sinfulness was fruitful and multiplied uh, as well. To the point that God saw fit to destroy the earth with a flood, and it was a decreation. He he was destroying uh, the entire earth, and including mankind, who... The language of the text said they had destroyed themselves already and so God gave them up to their destruction with this flood. Uh, God took the earth back to uh, a stage, the stage that it was before creation when the waters were hovering over the, the face of the earth. Well, if Genesis 6 and 7 is... God's decreation in the flood, then, then Genesis 8 is God's recreation after the flood. And you're going to see the language in this passage, or maybe you heard in the language of this passage as I was reading it, aspects of God recreating the earth. We see that, that, uh, that phrase there, that climax, that, that cliffhanger, uh, in one, but God remembered Noah. You may be asking, did, did he forget Noah? Was Noah on this boat so long and, and God so mad that he, he sent the flood and then turned and went away and was doing his own thing and then all of a sudden was like, ah, Noah, I forgot. I, I got to go back. I got to take care of him. I, I got, I remembered, I forgot. I can't just leave him there. In the boat, like some of us parents have forgot a kid in time out or something like that. Maybe that's just me. Uh, uh, confession time. But it wasn't like that. God didn't forget Noah. He remembered Noah. And when the Bible uses this language of remembrance, it's, it's describing God moving towards that which he is remembering. Moving towards Noah and acting on his behalf. And you think about others whom this phrase of remembrance is is mentioned of. God remembered Abraham uh, and his promise to Abraham when he saved Lot. God remembered Rachel and Hannah in the Bible, who were both barren and were unable to have children. And when he remembered them, He moved towards them and acted on their behalf and opened up their womb for them to conceive. Uh, God remembered Israel when they were in Egypt, groaning because of their slavery. And when he remembered, he moved towards them and made a way for them to be delivered out. So when God remembers Noah, he's moving towards him and he's going to act on his behalf to deliver him, to save him, to... Um, to bring him out of this ark that he sent him into. But not only Noah, he remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And so how did God move towards, and how did God act on Noah's behalf in in this story? In verse uh, 1, second part, we see the first thing that he did was that God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided the word for wind there is the same hebrew word as spirit back in genesis chapter 1 where it says that the spirit was hovering over the waters and so here in in this recreation after the flood the spirit of god is blowing over the waters causing the waters to go away, to subside. Earlier in Genesis chapter 7, you could read that section of 17 through 24 and see that the the word was the waters prevailed. The waters prevailed. The waters prevailed until God blew over these waters. Until God acted upon these waters, they would have been there forever. And when he blew, in verse 2, the fountains of the deep... And the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. God acted and the waters started to go away. That's one of the ways that God remembered Noah and acted on his behalf to bring about his salvation. And even in the language and the numbers of this passage of the flood, they show us that the main point of this entire story is God's remembrance of his people. In Genesis 6 and 7, uh, you had these repetition of sevens. God said, in seven days, I will send a flood. And then it said, on the seventh day, the flood came. And then there were 40 days of rain. And after 100, or, or the waters stayed on the earth for 150 days. Seven, seven, 40, and 150. And now in Genesis 8, the numbers go backwards. 150, 40, seven and seven. All as if they were pointing to Genesis chapter 8 verse 1, this rem- God's remembrance of Noah. Look in verse 3. At the end of the 150 days, the waters abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. This uh, this will be helpful for us, maybe even as a remembrance to pray. Uh, this morning, we prayed for the, the, the country, the people who live in Georgia. Again, the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia, though the people in the state of Georgia need prayer as well, as we all do. Uh, Georgia, uh, just south of Georgia, is Armenia and, and Turkey. Um, Mount Ararat is in eastern Turkey, and the language here is not necessarily that the flood landed on Mount Ararat, that specific mountain, but the mountains of Ararat in that area of eastern Turkey, Armenia, maybe even Georgia, that that the ark was floating over that area of the world during these 150 days. Uh, it's interesting to think about. E- even in my study this week, I, I found the, on the coat of arms of the country of Armenia, there still is a mountain with an ark on it uh, f- teetering on the top of the mountain uh, on Armenia's coat of arms, still to this day, representative of uh, Noah and the ark being in that place. And so that's the area of the world. This, this week, uh, as you're considering these truths, remember to pray for Georgia. Remember to pray for the peoples of this area of the world who uh, were right in the midst of God's, uh, God's action, God's beginning again, recreating uh, a people on the face of the earth. And then In verse 5, the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Uh, As Mary Ellen was leading us uh, to, to learn more about Georgia, did you see the mountains uh, did you did you take notice uh, of the the snow capped rocky mountains there that were in Georgia? Uh, we're not talking Dallas here being covered. We're, we're talking mountain peaks, giant mountain ranges covered. And, and here in the tenth month, after eight or so months uh, of being covered with waters, the mountain tops in Eastern Turkey, Armenia, and Georgia began to uh, poke out of the water there in that area of the world. Then again, here's Numbers in verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth." Noah, at this point, as the, as the ark had landed and lodged itself in the mountains, uh, as the mountaintops began to be visible, as he looked out that window, he, he decided to send out a raven uh, to see, uh, you know, what, what was out there. Was there any place uh, for this raven to land and of course, up to this point, there were really mountaintops uh, where, where the raven could have landed, and yet the Bible describes Moses writes uh, what happened in that day was that this raven went out and never returned. And yet, right after that, Noah sees fit to send out not another raven but a dove, to send out a dove uh, that doesn't stay gone and ends up returning. So why does the raven stay gone and the dove return? It's showing us a picture of life or uh, the other side of that, death, outside the ark. Because a raven is a scavenger. And when you think of what we talked about was going to be happening outside the ark, the death of all mankind the death of all animal kind on the face of the earth. As the raven goes out, there's plenty of death to feed on, plenty of death to land on as it's even floating on the waters. This raven has plenty to live on outside of the ark, but the dove, the dove has nothing. The dove is not a scavenger. The dove cannot live on death uh, And so the dove returns. In verse 8, Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground, knowing that a dove would only land on something that is solid, secure, something that is at rest. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to him, to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and he took her and brought her into the ark with him. And here again, after the repetition of 150, after the repetition of 40, here we see the repetition of the two sevens in this story. In verse 10, he waited another seven days and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and behold in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. We, as well as many other cultures, including maybe first Greek culture, would see the olive leaf or the olive branch as a sign of peace. And we can read peace into this story, but I think what's read out of the story is more that that this olive branch is representative of life. When the raven goes out, all that's represented there is death that the raven is able to live on. But when the dove goes out and brings back a freshly plucked olive branch, it's representative of the life that God is recreating here outside the ark. You think think about it uh, going back to Genesis chapter 1 when God um, separates the waters above from the waters below in making the sky, then he makes the land to appear out of the waters, kind of like mountaintops peeking out of the waters of this flood. He, he calls the land forth and calls the waters to, to go away as he did in creation, and then just after he makes the land, uh, it says that he makes plants to sprout there. And so, again, in this recreation, God is making uh, plants and trees to sprout again, just like he did back in Genesis chapter 1. And the, the bird goes out and finds uh, one of those and brings it back to him. And then, in verse 12, he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him Anymore. Now there is uh, enough land, there is enough life for the dove to live outside of the ark that the dove stays gone. In verse 13, it says that in the six, 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, this is New Year's Day for Noah, something to celebrate. The waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Noah had been on the ark for nearly a year, and he looked, the, the dove goes out, doesn't return. It's New Year's Day. He looks out, and, and he sees all of the water gone. All he can see now is, is land. And he thinks, wow, what, what you know, it." Finally, we're, we're going to be able to get out, and yet you read in verse 14, that was the first day of the first month. In verse 14, though, it says, yet in the, sixth, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. It, it took another two months for not just the waters to be gone from the face of the earth, but for the earth itself to dry out, okay? Uh, we, we understand this the past few weeks here in, in the Dallas area. With all of the rain that we've ha- been having, any tiny little bit of rain that we get, uh, our yard has puddles, baseball games are canceled, uh, things are muddy and squishy, this, that, or the other. Another... Can you imagine looking out of the ark and seeing all the water gone, thinking, we're going to get out of this thing. Uh, We're going to be out. And then it taking another two months for verse 15 to happen. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing, that is with you, all flesh, birds, and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. One year and 10 days on the ark, Noah waits for the salvation of God. E- even the last two months, I- I'm I feel like there is some similarity to Noah's year spent on the ark to many of us in the last year that we experienced. Uh, many of us, you know, being quarantined in our homes, and, and do, you, do you remember what it was like w- wanting to be able to get out, wanting to be able to go and see other people, wanting to breathe fresh air? not wear a mask, wanting to be able to enjoy uh, other sunshine and those kinds of things. Imagine a year and 10 days stuck in an ark with all of those animals, uh, with all of the chores, if you will, on the ark of cleaning up after uh, all of the animals, the feeding of the animals, Over and over and over and over, seeing a glimpse of dry land and thinking, this is our shot. Let's go for it. And yet, Noah uh, had learned for hundreds of years. This is the 601st year of Noah's life. He had learned that God was worthy of his waiting. Waiting and not busting open the door to the ark to go when he wanted to go, but to wait on the word of the Lord to say, go forth. It was Noah uh, who waited on the word of the Lord to say, go into the ark. And Noah obeyed then. Why would he, now at this point, um, though maybe sick of his family, sick of the animals, sick of the ark, wanting to get out of the ark, why would he now not wait on the word of the Lord to go out from the ark? This is such a a great challenge for us to, to consider how we make our decisions to go forth, to move forward. Are we so quick to jump because of the circumstances or because of our feelings or because we're tired of something else and we want something new and And We want this, that, or the other, and so we jump at it and get it before even considering, is this what the Lord would have me do? Is this what the Lord's will would be for my life? Lord, do you want me to move now, or do you want me to wait? Do you want me to act now, or do you want me to wait? And to be able to step back as a Christian, having learned of all of the the goodness and greatness of God, to remember that God is worthy of our waiting. God is worthy of, of us waiting until He makes it abundantly clear that we ought to move forward, to make this decision or that decision, to do this or that, to say this or that. Noah understood that he understood it because of God's uh, past actions. He understood that that God was faithful because of what those who had gone before him had passed on to him. His great-grandfather and grandfather and father passing on the truths about God. Noah himself had God speak to him with the instructions of the ark. God had shown grace to Noah in choosing to save him out of all of the other people on the earth. Gave him instructions, a way to be saved in the midst of the flood by by constructing an ark. Noah had all of the reasons to trust the Lord, to know that he was worthy of waiting on him. Noah had waited on him For a hundred years in building the ark to send the rain, could he not wait just a little bit longer to be able to deliver him out of the ark and to call him forth on the ark? If Noah found God worthy, if Noah saw the waters recede, knew that God hadn't forgot him On the ark, than Noah was willing to wait for him. If Noah knew that, how much more so should we, who have seen God's hand of salvation, even more so in the sending of his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross and to take our place? How much more so would we be willing to wait on the Lord? for the things of this life and for the next life, for him to return or for him to take us to be with him. Uh, just consider those in the Bible who have to wait on the Lord. You, if you know your Bibles, you could think of different people who have had to wait at different times and in different places, Abraham and Sarah, waiting decades To have a child that God promised to them before. Um, As I mentioned earlier, others who were barren, unable to have children, waiting years upon years. Uh, The people of Israel waiting for God to deliver them out of Egypt. Waiting, waiting, waiting. We see such faith. We see such righteousness. We see Good things come to those who wait, and yet we also see on the other side some of those very same people unwilling to wait, taking matters into their own hands. Again, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Moses taking matters into his own hands, unwilling to wait uh, on the provision of the Lord. The people of Israel taking matters into their own hands. You just go through the Bible and think of those who have to wait versus those who chose not to wait, who in that moment didn't believe God was worthy of them waiting in that moment. And the same could probably be seen in your life. In moments where you acted in faith, were willing to wait on the Lord because you recalled God's grace shown to you. You recalled the truths of God. You knew that God remembered you. You knew that God heard you, heard your prayers. And so you acted in faith and you waited patiently. You could probably also think back to your life and think of times when you were unwilling to wait. You had forgotten what God had done for you in the past. You had forgotten the ways that he had moved in the past. You had forgot... That God had remembered you. You had forgot, forgotten the truths of the Lord. And so you took matters into your own hands. Once you, I mean, I can think back in my own life of times when I was faithful to wait and times when I was not. And yet I can look at those moments and see how much joy, how much hope, how much good came from those moments. Moments of remembering the truths about God and remembering that he was worthy of my waiting and and was willing to wait for him to move and to make it clear for me. How much joy, how much good were were in those moments versus those moments when I took matters into my own hands to satisfy myself in the moment, uh, to get what I wanted, to say what I wanted, Uh, to not wait for clear direction from the Lord. This story is encouragement for us to remember God's work in the past, God's word in the past, and to be willing to wait on the Lord. Think of of verses throughout the Scripture talking about the importance of waiting. But they said, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or the psalmist in Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, in the Psalms of Ascent, the psalms that were sung as people left the nations and came to Jerusalem to remember God to worship God in Jerusalem. Psalm 130, verse 5. They sing, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. And He repeats, more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Does that describe you? A person who's willing to wait? Or are you a person that is, wants what you want right here, right now, and demands that God move and act immediately? We have to remember that God's timing is not our timing. God's days are not our days. His years are not our years. God remembers us and is worthy of our waiting. Or we can jump ahead to to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 8, verse 22, where Paul writes For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly. Wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Does that describe your life? Your life of faith, Christian? Waiting by faith in the promises that have yet to been yet, yet to be revealed yet, Christ's return, you being made new, uh, glorified to be able to be with the Lord forever in heaven. If that doesn't describe you, then may these reminders this morning of the Lord's remembrance of You. And like Noah, to look back in our life and to remember all that the Lord has done and said in the the past. Encourage us to be willing to wait, to persevere by faith. The New Testament talks about those who walk by faith or those who persevere. It may be that you, like Noah, need to be encouraged this morning to wait in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial. Noah wasn't delivered in the moment. It took a a long season of suffering, persevering, remembering that God remembered him. You you may find yourself in, in a season of suffering, in a season of difficulty, in a season of isolation, a season of sickness, a, a season of, of hurt and pain, a season of lack, a, a season of frustration. Whatever it may be, whatever that year on the ark is for you, Noah remembered that God w- was worthy of is waiting. Might you this morning just remember that He's worthy, worthy of you waiting in the midst of suffering, waiting in the midst of frustration, waiting in the midst of just the unknown, waiting on God to tell you what is next, waiting on the t- Him to tell you to go out, and you're, you're asking for it, begging for Him today, Lord. Show me, tell me, what am I supposed to do? What am-? wait? Wait until he's made it abundantly clear. And when he does, you'll have no doubts when you move forward in faith. You'll move forward in faith based on what he's said to you, on his promises. And when you face hard times moving forward, you won't doubt. And so he, God calls them out, and Noah does just that in verse 18. So Noah went out. And his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Noah knew that God had remembered him when he saw the waters go down, when he saw the Lord's hand of salvation. Might we look to the cross and the empty tomb? and remember that God remembers us in those moments when we think about that and be able to move forward in faith when he calls us. And so as I asked you earlier, are, are, is there something in your life that was so valuable or of such worth that you were willing to wait for it? Whether it was a child or a uh, a job or a house or or, or this, that, or the other, something that you were willing to wait even to your birthday uh, to get or or something like that. There's lots of things in this life that are worth our waiting, but there's nothing in this life on this earth that's worthy of our worship. That's only the Lord. And and so Noah not only realized that God remembered him and, and saw him worthy of waiting, But in 20 through 22, Noah saw and had remembered that God remembered him and was worthy of his worship. And that's true of us as well. God remembers us uh, as a collective people who have put their faith and trust in him. uh, As Christians, as his church, God remembers us and is worthy of our worship But you could put this in individual terms for yourself. God remembers you. And he's worthy of your worship. Let's not just say this to be true of all of us as as a whole as a church. But put this on yourself. Remember this yourself. God remembers you and is worthy of your worship. Just as much as God remembers us. And is worthy of our worship. Just like God remembered Noah and was worthy of his worship. Look at the first thing that Noah does in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Uh, Noah's first action. And th- Think about Your first thing to do when you were able to go out in public after quarantine, you know, what do you want to do? Get out, outside, uh, go and enjoy life. Noah's first thing, as soon as he gets off the ark, first thing that's recorded of him is pausing to build an altar. And taking some of that which God commanded him to bring onto the ark, seeing that God had provided for him a way to worship him in the future. He takes some of those clean animals and he sacrifices them, places them on the altar, and burns them and offers them to the Lord. Noah makes this offering to the Lord. And look at the Lord's response. When the Lord, in verse 21, smelled the pleasing aroma the Lord said in his heart, makes this promise. He, he, he makes this even more detailed, the covenant that he had started back in chapter 7. He gives more details to it here. He says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Essentially, man deserves me to curse the ground again because he's evil even from his youth, but I won't. I won't do it again, God says. He says, "...neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done." And he goes on in almost a a poetic verse in verse 22, "...while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat." Summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Things will continue as they are today. Day will go on, night will go on, years will go on, seasons will go on. You won't see another year like you've seen, Noah. Nor will your kids and their kids after them. This promise that is going to be detailed even more later on in in chapter 9. But what Noah was willing to wait on in verses 1 through 19 here, it goes beyond just being willing to wait for, he's, he's willing to worship. God was worthy of Noah's worship. And when Noah offered these sacrifices, it's recorded that it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, this is not because the smell of burnt animal flesh was actually pleasing to the Lord. This isn't like Texas barbecue happening somewhere in your neighborhood and all of a sudden the wind blows in a different direction and you smell that and you think to yourself, oh, I wish I was friends with that person. Uh, I wish I had that, that invite. This smell is not a pleasing smell to the Lord, but what it represents makes the smell of this offering pleasing. Because what is happening here is Noah is, Noah knows, he should have died in that flood. He was not deserving of God's salvation. He should have been one of the many outside the ark that he very likely. Not to paint an ugly picture, one that's not in your kids' Bibles. But getting off that ark was probably not a beautiful sight. To think about the death that reigned outside the ark. Noah in that moment was reminded, I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve to set foot on this earth. And Noah took an animal And sacrificed it, essentially saying, I deserve to die. And yet this animal is going to die in my place. And when Noah understood that and made this offering, it became a pleasing aroma. Not because of the smell, but because of what the sacrifice represented. Noah understanding God's salvation in his life. Noah understanding how worthy God was of worship because of his salvation and because of his remembrance. And so Noah made this offering to the Lord. If we use that imagery there to fast forward, we could consider Christ's sacrifice. We can consider that that sacrifice was not pleasing in God's sight in that he liked watching his son to be crucified. And yet it was pleasing to the Lord because it was going to bring about the salvation of all of his children. In fact, the crucifixion of the Son of God, Jesus Christ on the cross is described like the offering that Noah gave in Genesis chapter 8, a pleasing aroma. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us And gave himself up for us, listen, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus himself became the clean animal that was offered on Noah's altar, the the ultimate sacrifice. Because after Noah, this was the forerunner for what. God would command of his people later on in Exodus for them to offer clean animals as a sacrifice year after year after year. And yet God saw fit to send his one and only son Jesus to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by climbing up on the altar himself. Allowing himself to be crucified on the altar of the cross. Willingly, not anyone taking his life from him, but Jesus willing to give his life for us. Jesus' death on the cross became a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord in that moment. But not only did Jesus do this, but like Paul said in Ephesians 5 1, be imitators of God and of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in spending 11 chapters describing God's great salvation for undeserving sinners, in Romans chapter 12, 1, Paul calls all of those who have believed and been saved by Jesus Christ, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies Of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship Uh, to offer your lives as a pleasing sacrifice a pleasing aroma to the Lord that if you have put your faith in Christ and been saved by God and you know the salvation of the Lord You know that the Lord has remembered you, moved towards you, and acted on your behalf by sending Jesus to die in your place. You, above all people, ought to be willing to lay down your life all of the years from that point forward as a living sacrifice to God, to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord this is what is said of, of us, of believers, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 14. Paul writes this time to the church at Corinth, and he says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, through us as believers in, in Christ, those of us who are saved, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. And listen to this. He says, To one, a fragrance of, from death to death. To others a fragrance from life to life. You see, Christian, when you live your life and you lay down your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord, you then become the aroma of of Christ to the world. And to some, that's going to be offensive. Uh, Just as Christ... Uh, was seen as offensive by some during his day and age. And yet, to some, he was life. To some whose eyes were opened, ears were opened, hearts were made new, Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection meant life for them. Forgiveness of sins for them that by faith in Him and His sacrifice, they too could be forgiven of their sins and have life in His name. But to so many others, it it meant death because they denied Him. They were unwilling to acknowledge the the truth about God. They were unwilling to see that God had remembered them and had sent His one and only Son to, to die for them. And so Christian because Christ has laid down his very life as a pleasing sacrifice to God to accomplish your salvation we're then called to lay down our lives as a pleasing sacrifice to him a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So let me let me ask us this question. Do you smell like Jesus? Today? Does your life smell like you've spent time with Jesus? You know, when you go camping and you go around a campfire and you go home, you just can't get that camp smoke smell out of your clothes. Have you so dwelt with and spent time with Jesus and yourself? laid down your life for him, that when you go out to the world, you smell like Jesus? You look like Jesus? You sound like Jesus? Because if you do, there's, there's gonna be some who look at that and think, I, I don't want any of that. That's ridiculous. They're gonna feel in the midst, in that moment, judged because your life looks different rather than repenting in that moment. But there's gonna be some who are gonna see what you have and want it. And it's in that moment that you're going to point them to the Lord. Not to anything that you've done to accomplish your salvation, but to point them to the Lord who's worthy of their worship. And as they go beyond that, worthy of their waiting. Christian, we have the opportunity day in and day out to lay down our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. He alone is worthy of that. So think back to some of those questions I asked us earlier. What's of most value in your life? What does what your calendar say is of most value to you? What is your Mind and your thoughts say is of of most value to you? What does your pocketbook say is of most value to you? The things of this life or the things of the next life? Let us be a people who are characterized and defined like Noah was in this passage. One whose first act when we wake up. Is, is worship. One whose last act of the day is, is worship. One whose life is characterized by waiting for the Lord to move in our midst. If we would do that, not only would we honor and glorify the Lord more, not only would we enjoy this life more as we wait for eternal life later, but the world around us would know who the Lord is more and know how worthy he is. If you're here this morning, not a Christian, you're wondering whether or not God is real, you're wondering what it takes to be saved, what it would take for you to spend eternity with God, to be able to enjoy heaven and eternal life There's no other answer than the answer that we see in our our text this morning, but that is to worship the Lord. And Jesus tells us exactly how to worship Him, exactly how to be saved, to repent of our sins, to repent of our life lived selfishly for ourselves, and to put our faith and trust in Jesus, who's Sacrifice alone is a pleasing aroma. There's nothing you can give to God to earn your salvation. That's why he sent his son. Because we had nothing to offer. And if you this morning realize that you have nothing to offer, that you are undeserving like Noah was of God's salvation, undeserving like I am, Of God's salvation. And like all of us in this room are of God's salvation. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. Who died and was buried and rose from the dead to accomplish your salvation. To um, show you that God remembers you. Christ came and died and rose from the dead because God remembered you and put your faith and trust in him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your remembrance, not only of Noah, but of all of your people from the beginning of time to the end of time. And you showed us your remembrance in the greatest way when you sent your one and only son, Jesus. And we worship you. You alone are worthy of our worship because of that. Jesus, we worship you. We praise you for you are worthy of our worship because you willingly gave your life as a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to God to take the judgment and the punishment and the wrath that we deserve. So Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for that. Spirit, we thank you for not only blowing over the waters in Noah's day and drying up the earth to reveal God's salvation to Noah that day. We thank you, Spirit, for blowing over the dark waters of our heart, revealing God's salvation for us in Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would blow over hearts this morning afresh, showing believers uh, that we are valuing even worshiping things that ought not to be worshiped in this life, acting in our own time rather than waiting on your timing. God, I pray that you would, uh, Spirit, I pray you would blow afresh on hearts this morning who have yet to believe and trust in you that you would dry up the dark waters that are on their hearts today, revealing to them that the only way that they might be saved is in your ark, the ark of the cross and the death of Christ and the resurrection and empty tomb of Jesus. God, put, help them to put their faith and trust in you as Noah did that day. Knew that you were worthy of his waiting, and worthy of his worship. God, we worship you in this moment now in song and in praise. And as we go from this place, may we lay down our lives as living sacrifices for you because you alone are worthy. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.